Well, hey guys, welcome to week three of the Follow series, and uh, I'm uh, today. I am joined uh, with our teaching pastor Dave Thompson. Everybody, say hello to Dave. Hey guys, and uh, I am so grateful that Dave has been teaching the past couple of weeks. Uh, Dave is a good friend, and he's a great teacher, and uh, I have a lot to learn when uh, Dave's around. So uh, I did say this. I actually forgot to take up the offering, which, I mean, you ever heard of a pastor that's ever forgot to take up the offering, right? So here's what I'm asking you guys to do. If you could go ahead and grab those red buckets at the end of your rows, and we're going to go ahead and take up the offering now. Um, I'll say this. There's a lot of ways that you can give here at One Church TV. We have a giving kiosk immediately outside that you can swipe cards and all that. Uh, you can do the text to give. Uh, you can drop a check or cash in those buckets. I'll tell you the best way that I like to give uh, is online uh, because I can kind of like schedule it and forget about it. So uh, because I'm a little absent-minded anyway and don't say anything, Dave. So anyway, um, so again, thank you so much for give. 100% of everything that you give goes to change lives. And I just want to say I'm just thank you. Thank you for giving. Now, today we're in week three of our follow series. And, um, and I just, I mean, I've really enjoyed this series because so many times we use some words that we really don't define a lot of times. And we'll, we'll say, you know, are you a Christian? And we'll, we'll throw out these words Christian so many times. But really, when you look at the New Testament, the word Christian is used very, very rarely. It's only used maybe twice in the, in the New Testament, but let me tell you something that's used over and over and over and over again is the word follow, and that's what we're looking at, is what does it look like to truly follow Jesus Christ? Now, I got a quick, a quick confession. Uh, when I was, like, young, when I became a Christian, I didn't really think in terms of being a, a follower of Jesus, I didn't. Um, in fact, and that's the reason why we're talking about this series, Follow. We're talking about following Jesus. In fact, I really didn't become a Christian because I even love Jesus or I love God. Again, this is a confession. Don't tell anybody because it's become a scandal. Pretty much, let me tell you the reason why I became a Christian. And it's really summed up with this graphic right here. Wait for it. There it is. You see, I grew up in church where there was a lot of talk about hell and internal damnation and flames and a place where the, the, the worm never dies and all of this stuff. And when I was eight years old, I didn't want to go to this place, right? Now, I, I believe that there is a place like this, but let me tell you, I grew up in a church that talked about more about hell than anything else. And that caused me to not want to go to hell, now, here's the problem about that, is just not wanting to go to hell, it, it does not make a follower of Jesus Christ. In fact, I don't even think it makes a Christian. Uh, I, you get scared about not going to a place, so I was really running from hell, I wasn't running to God. And some of you, maybe your church background, you know exactly what, I, what this graphic is. Now, some of you, when I put it up, you're like, oh, that means hell no. No, no, no. It means no hell. All right. So, again, send your emails to Dave at OneChurch.tv. Uh, oh, Patrick um, <laughs> at OneChurch.tv. So, here's the thing about that. I, I, and, again, I grew up in this tradition where I was at church all the time, and it, and it really wasn't about following Jesus Christ. And I think for many of us, I, you know, I didn't, I didn't want to go to hell. I, was really, I wasn't really in love with Jesus. I really wasn't in love with God. I was in love with me. 
because I did not want to go to the bad place. In fact, growing up in, in kind of walking the aisle and you know, doing all of that stuff when I was eight years old, you know, following Jesus kind of served me well because it kept me out of trouble, some. <laughs> and, and, it, and, just, and it, just, it just kind of worked out that way. And I really was a Jesus consumer. I wasn't a Jesus follower. And that's what we're talking about today. Uh, I think so many of us were Jesus consumers. And again, here's the thing. I started out that way. And as we're going to learn today, the people in the New Testament, Jesus' followers, get this, they started out that way as well. They followed Jesus because of what they could get and all of these things. And again, I was the exact same way. But really, I was in love with me and I really wasn't in love with God. So today, we're moving from becoming Jesus consumers, and it's okay to start there, to becoming Jesus followers. You know, and, and today, if, if, if you're not a Christian, you know, today, if, if you come to Jesus, like, you'll be a better husband you know, you could be a better father, you'll, you'll be a, a better employer, uh, or maybe a better employee, um, you, you, a better boyfriend, girlfriend. If, if you come and you start actually following or, or, or putting into action, you know, some of Jesus' teachings, you, it's inevitably, you're going to become better. Uh, you, you, you start to, to be more forgiving. You, you know, it, 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 it serves you. It, it works for you. Now, now, the interesting thing is, is just as Chris said a moment ago, all of Jesus' followers started off that way. All of Jesus' followers started off that way. It was, what's in it for me? Uh, and, and, and so, you know, what, what we see, and, and we're actually going to get into the story a, a bit more here in a few weeks. Uh, we're going to pull up a story of, of uh, in, in Mark 8, uh, Mark eight thirty one, I believe it is. If we can get that up. There we go. It says, uh, then he began to teach, uh, he, he began to teach them, uh, the Son of Man, that is Jesus, by the way. Uh, he said, uh, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. Now, now Peter, you know, he's like, you know, we'll, we'll get to Peter more. He's like, you know, so things are like get, are about to get bad. Like, they're bad. They're about to get worse. And and he he continues on. I love this in thirty two. He said he spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at, at his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, "Get behind me, Satan!" Now, now Peter pulls Jesus off to the side, and he's like, you know, whoa, 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 like like don't 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 go all like you know negative on us. You know, stay positive. You know, like. You're our guy. You know, where you go, I go. Um, you know, like, you, you, you just stay positive because, you know, you're, you're, you're the Messiah. You're, you know, you're, you're going you're gonna, to, you know, take us places. And, and I love this. Jesus just turns to his disciples and he says, Peter, get behind me. Satan. Like, how, like, how big of a rebuke is that? Like, has anybody in here ever been called Satan before? <laughs> Sadly, sadly, I actually have. Um, we we have these weird pastors, quote unquote, that come to uh, Austin P every now and then. And um, after a short theological debate, he called me Satan uh, and told me to get behind him. It was crazy. But no, you have these uh, th this moment, and, and so I'm, Dave, I'm behind you. Dude. What does that mean? <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so uh, you know the so so what really brings that? And I love this, and this is where it really comes. This is the crux of it. Uh, Thirty three. It says, "You do not have in mind." the concerns of God's, right. but merely human concerns. In other words, you are a consumer. You are following me, and, and, but you're following me for what you get out of this. You know, at this point, Peter, you, 
You have to stop. You have to let your hands go. You have to loosen your grip on your agenda. And, and in order to put on my agenda. At some point, Peter, you have to say, not my will, but thy will. You know, anybody grow up in a church with these and thys and thous? Not my will, but thy will. Uh, you know, I love this because one time Jesus is, is teaching and, uh, and he's talking about how sacrifice, how we should sacrifice and, 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 and you know, and, and let go of things and, and do this for him and do this for, you know, to follow him. And, you know, of course, Peter, which again, we're going we're gonna to learn the story a little bit more here in a few weeks. Uh, Peter, you know, he looks at him, he's thinking, you know, I, I gave up being a fisherman. I gave up my family business. I gave up so much so I can come and follow you. And, and of course, you know, he comes back and he says, hey, Jesus, you know, we, we, we have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? That's a great question. I think, I think Peter asked that question. I think we asked that question. What's in it for us? Really, God? Uh, and, and, you know, at the end of Jesus' ministry, when he was arrested and he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, the New Testament tells us that all of his follow, followers unfollowed him that all of his followers left them, like ran and said, I'm gone, deuce out, right? And, and, and the reason why they did is because if you're going to get arrested, if Jesus is going to get arrested, then we're going to get arrested because they heard what Jesus said, hey, whatever's done to me, they're going to do to you. And there's, hey, there's nothing in this thing for us. There's no benefit for us. Uh, th- th- there's just, so I'm going to unfollow. And again, they were Jesus consumers. They were not Jesus followers. They started out that way. And as, as they were following as long as it worked out for them. And you know what? I think we all, every single one of us, we start out that way. But here's the interesting thing. After they all abandoned Jesus, when you get to the end of the New Testament, they're all back and, they're all, and Jesus like forgives them and the, these cowards that kind of left him. Uh, they saw all the crucifying and all that stuff. There was nothing new about that. People died uh, on these crosses every day. But the one thing that they experienced that they could not get, old, get, get a hold of was that Jesus was crucified, but he came back. That he was resurrected. And when they gave, when they saw Jesus resurrected, they literally gave their lives for what Jesus taught. They gave up their lives because of what they saw. They gave up their own personal agenda, and they started following and embraced God's agenda for their lives. And they became fully devoted followers, not consumers, but followers of Jesus. But guess what? It took a while. It did. It took a while. It was a process. And get this, not all of them made the transition. In fact, that's where I want to look at today. I want to look at a guy who did not make the transition from a consumer to a follower. In fact, when I mention his name, every one of you are going to go, oh yeah, I've heard about this guy. But here's what I want us to, I want us to look into the scripture today, and I want us to say, okay, why did Judas Iscariot betray Jesus? I mean, 11, 11 of them made the transition from consumer to follower, but for some reason, Judas never did. And I think Judas saw Jesus just like the rest of his disciples saw Jesus. They thought that God was going to deliver Israel from the Romans, that, that God was going to reestablish Israel as a national presence and a, and, a, and a national powerhouse, a world power, that Jesus would become their Jewish king, their Messiah, their deliverer, their savior. And his disciples, they were thinking, hey, maybe this Jesus, maybe he's the guy. Maybe he's the one that we've been waiting for. So they waited and they watched. And they waited and they watched. And they followed him and, you know, hanging out with him. They waited and they watched. And Judas waited and watched as well. But for Judas, 
Jesus wasn't moving fast enough. Jesus was always a means to an end because Judas had his own personal agenda. Judas knew that when, as Jesus rose to power, that if, if you're close to Jesus, then if you're close to this guy, that you're going to be raised to power as well. But for Judas, again, Jesus went too slow. Jesus, that Jesus didn't hate the Romans. In fact, Jesus healed and, 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 and brought life to the Romans. And uh, he, he didn't care if they were Jew or Gentile or Roman or free. He didn't care. And, and all the while, Jesus ostracized the powerful religious Jewish leaders. Judas became disillusioned with Jesus because he wasn't the deliverer and the savior that the Jews were expecting. So today, I want to show you the incident that happened that caused Judas to give up on Jesus and and Jesus' agenda. What happened in this passage really was the last straw, and it's the last straw that broke the what? And again, I'm, I don't know if that euphemism uh, lived in Jesus' day. Maybe it didn't. I don't know. But literally, it's literally going to be the last straw that broke the camel's back uh, and, and drove Judas over the brink. And it was kind of his final thing. This is where Judas just threw up his hands and said, I don't really care about your agenda, God. It's not your will. It's my will. In fact, I would say this. That's why some of you are in church today. Uh, it's the beginning of the new year, and you're like, man, 2015 stunk it up i got to do something with my life. And you're here because you're trying to figure out, okay, how many prayers do i got to pray? How much money do i got to throw in the offering plate and make it rain for God? Uh, what do I need to do? What do I need to repeat or repeat or repeat to be able to, uh, to get me, to, for you to start blessing me, God? And, and again, it's not about following his agenda. We have our own agenda. We just want God to bless ours. And, and, it's, and we're a consumer, And again, I get that. As I told you, I was there as well. And you know, it's okay to start as a Jesus consumer. Because we all start there. But at some point in following Jesus, listen to me, your agenda and your Heavenly Father's agenda are going to butt heads. And what you do in that moment, what you do in that moment becomes the defining moment for your life. It will become that watershed pivot moment that you're going to look back and say, that's where I lost it, or that's where I found him. Now, Matthew tells us this story of Judas, and it goes like this. This is in Matthew chapter 26, starting at verse 6. says this, While Jesus was in Bethany in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive Perfume, Very interesting. Keep on going. Which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. When the disciples saw this, they were what? Indignant. Anybody know what indignant means? You may, I, I had to look that up. They were ticked. They were frustrated. Like, what in the world are you doing? This very, very expensive perfume, you just wasted it. You poured it on Jesus, and that stuff can't be gathered back. In fact, we learn uh, Matthew is writing this, but this same idea is written in the book of John as well. And it says this in John, that it it was worth a year's wages. Now, let's just stop there. Don't tell me. How much do you make in a year? You got that figure in your head? Imagine if you took a year's wages and you just kind of gave it to Jesus. Some of you are like, right. 
right? I mean, imagine that. It's just, it's like throwing money away. And then look at this, verse 8 of Matthew 26. Why this waste, they asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. Now again, that's Matthew's account, but John was also also there as well, and he kind of tells us some more details of the story. And he kind of tells how the disciples are all kind of yin-yang. By the way, this is free. It's not my notes. So you ain't got to pay me for it. Do you know any t- that negativity breeds negativity? I mean, you, you got a, a group of yin-yang people. It always starts with one. And let me tell you, if you're in a negative group and you're like, well, who started this? You better look at yourself. We see who started this. Because in John chapter 12, verse 4, we see that it is Judas who actually started this. But one of his disciples, let's all say it together. This is John uh, 12, 4 through 5. One of his disciples, who was it? Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why did, why did, he, why did he object? He's the one who kicked this off. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a what? A year's wages. Now, Judas had his own agenda at this point. So Judas leans over to someone and says, Hey, Bartholomew, hey, Bart, Bart, come here. Can you believe what just happened? Do you you know how how expensive was that? At Neiman Marcus, how much was that? That that, that was $30,000? Oh, my gosh. I mean, that that could have been done some good stuff with, right? Psst, James. Can you get over that? It's Judas who's kind of starting this off. Now, he didn't say this because he cared about the poor. In fact, it says this in verse 6. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to whatever was put into it. Jesus, he's like, you know, Jesus has this ministry going, and Judas is the treasure keeper. Uh, uh, he, he's the one who's in charge of the money, and nobody knows he's stealing it. He's the one who was keeping track of the money because, you know, it, 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 it takes money to do ministry. So he's going to all these different towns, and they've got places to sleep, and they've got to eat stuff, and, and, and people are donating money to Jesus, and Judas is, is he's taking care of it. He's taking care of it all right because Judas only cared for himself and his own agenda. It was all about Judas and what he wanted. And Judas is a complete hypocrite. Judas is kind of like the people, the reason why some of you don't go to church. Judas was in it for his own agenda. Judas used Jesus for his own ends. And Judas prayed this prayer, God, not thy will, but my will be done. It was all about him, and it was all about him being a consumer. Now, uh, Jesus, as we talked about a few weeks ago, uh, Jesus knew the hearts of men. He, uh, you know, just as he was outside while he was eating with Matthew, he knew what was happening outside the doors. And, and so it, I love this. It says, aware of this, Jesus said to them, why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Now, and, you know, of course, Peter's like, okay, there you go again, right? You're talking about death, dying, resurrection, burial, you know, all those things. You know, can, can we just knock that off? And, and so Jesus continues, truly I tell you, 
wherever this gospel is preached, now, now this is amazing. This, this is truly amazing because wherever this gospel is, is preached, in other words, it's wherever the story of Jesus is, is, is talked about. We, we are literally like, you know, doing that today. Wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Now, now you, you know, again, you know what's interesting? Like, we're doing that right now. 2,000 years later, we're talking about the very thing that he said was going to happen. He, he, he's saying that, you know, this, he, it's, it's, it's a prophecy almost. He's saying this is going to happen. Make sure you write this down. You know, James, Matthew, uh, in this case, John. Uh, no, we are in Matthew. You know, hey, write this down because I, I want to make sure that whenever, whenever people in the future, now, of course, these people didn't realize that, you know, they're thinking immediate. They're not thinking 2,000 years later. Jesus was. I love this. And, and so, uh, so he continues, and, and then, okay, so then. Now, this is a really important then. This is a turning point. This is a moment that happened immediately after. This is before anybody else could think. This is before anybody else could, could possibly come to a, to a thought process. Then, this is, this is immediate. This is a moment that can never change back. This is a moment that, that, that is a deciding point. Just as Chris talked about a moment ago, whenever our agenda differs from God's agenda. This is a deciding moment in this life, and, I, and, and this is what happens. It says, then, um, one of the twelve, the one called, who was this? Judas Iscariot, went to, uh, where is it? Went to the chief priest and asked, what are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you? Now, in other words, he's, he, you know, he's, he's had enough. If, if you're going to throw away the money, we need that money. If you're going to keep, you know, making all the, uh, the religious people mad, we, we, we need them to be on our side. If, if, if you're not going to go and fight Rome and, and, and bring us out of this and, and rise us to power so I can rise with you, then I, I'm just done. He, he's done. He's had enough. And so Judas goes to the chief priest and, and he says, you know, and I love this because he's like, look, I know what your real problem is. Your problem isn't that you can't find Jesus. We talked, we've been talking this whole time how Jesus had a group of, of religious people that literally followed him anywhere. And besides, you know, he's like, look, if you want to find Jesus, you find the largest crowd, and in the middle of that crowd, there's Jesus. That's right. The problem is, is that you can't just go, pardon me, excuse me, pardon me, excuse me, pardon me, excuse me, hey, you're under arrest, pardon me, excuse me, pardon me, excuse me, back out. The crowd is the problem. You see, the crowd's there, and they would tear you apart if you tried to take him, because they're there because they want to be fed and they want to be healed. And so, so what he's saying is you have an issue. And, and, and I love this. So, so they continue with Matthew uh, 26, 15, and 6. Says, so they counted out for him 30 pieces. So in other words, I, I'm going I'm to try to get him separated. I, I know how I can do this. I can solve this problem for you. What will you give me in return? They counted out for him 30 pieces of silver from an old, and, and, and here's you know, one of the most absurd statements <laughs> you'll ever hear in the Bible. It says, from then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. Can we just hang out for a moment? Judas, do you, do you remember that time that you were like on the boat in the middle of the afternoon and a storm came out of nowhere and you thought that you were going to drown? And Jesus woke up and he told the storm to stop and it stopped. Judas, do you remember that time that we went to visit that friend uh, of Jesus's? His name was Lazarus. 
And he had been dead so long that his own family said, hey, Jesus, don't even bother. He's dead. He's done. He's been in that tomb for four days. He is decaying. And Jesus walked into the tomb. He said, Lazarus, come out. And he did. Do, do you remember that time that Jesus spit on some dirt and made some mud and rubbed, rubbed it across a blind guy's eyes and then he could see? Judas, do, do you seriously think that you have the power to, 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 to do this, to hand him over? Do you really think that you, do you think you have the mental capacity? Do you think you're really so intelligent that, that you, you can overpower this man? Do you think you have the intellectual capacity? Have, have, have you really, like, thought about it? Are you kidding? It's absurd. You're exactly right, because Judas thought he had control of Jesus. That, that he was in control and that he could hand him over. But if you think about it, isn't that what so much of our prayers is all about? That we're in control right? I mean, that we're just as guilty sometimes of how we pray like that. When we think about how we treat God, that we can manipulate him to get him to do what we want to do. And, and, and then once he does that, then we say, okay, Jesus, now you stay in the corner, get back in the corner. I'm going to put you in my back pocket. You're my hip pocket God. And, and uh, by the way, Jesus, I'm not going to take you on spring break. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm not going to take you on that particular business trip because I got some plans. But when it comes to closing the deal, I'm going to pull you out. I'm going to rub you. And I can manipulate you so that you can bless what I want, my agenda, that I am in control. I don't need you now, Jesus. But when my kids, when they start getting into trouble, then I'm going to pull you out of my back pocket, rub on you, Right? And, 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 and you're kind of my good luck charm. My good luck charm. We, put, we think we put God in a box, but we can't manipulate God or just put him away in our back pocket. So for Judas to think that Jesus is in charge, that, that, that he, excuse me, for Judas to think that Judas is in charge of Jesus and he's just going to somehow hand Jesus over, I mean, give me a break. Judas is about to learn a very hard lesson. Judas learned it the hard lesson a very hard way, and I hope that today all of us can learn this hard lesson a very easy way, and it's simply this, and it's our big idea today. Our big idea says, God's hand can't be forced, his will can't be thwarted. Can we say that together? Let's all say that. God's hand can't be forced, his will can't be thwarted. Now, for 2,000 years, people have been trying to figure out, why did Judas do this? Why did Judas betray Jesus? And, 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 and i got to be honest with you, while I'm moving forward, it's kind of a sort of an educated guess based upon what Judas did before and what happened afterwards, and we're going to get to this in a minute, but somehow Judas thought that if he could force Jesus to come out and to proclaim himself king of Israel, then everything would be okay. Judas thought that Jesus just wasn't going fast enough. And Judas, I think he was thinking this, that perhaps if I deliver him into, into his enemies, Jesus wasn't about to allow himself something bad to happen to him. And let me tell you, here's the reason why. Because Judas observed time after time after time that they tried to arrest Jesus, but Jesus every time got away. That when they tried to arrest him, he would just kind of slip through their fingers. He would disappear. He would walk away. So Judas was going to speed up the process and get richer also in the process. So during the Passover, 
Uh, he hears that Jesus is going to take the 12 disciples to the Garden of Gethsemane that night and praying. In fact, they were actually sleeping there in the garden. So he slips out of dinner early. He says he has something to do. He sends a message to the Pharisees and to the chief priests, and he says this. Okay, guys, you've got to get your guys ready. You're going to have to move quick. Bring torches, have some soldiers there. I'm going to be there, and you arrest the guy that I kiss. Pay attention. Don't arrest the wrong guy. And we may never have another opportunity of this. I'm going to betray the one, and you're going to arrest him. And, 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 and here's the thing. When you arrest him, he's going, you're going to bring him back, and, and it's going to force Jesus to proclaim that, yes, he really is the Messiah. So they arrested Jesus, they took him, and the disciples fled, and Judas left with them, and then here's what happens. Matthew tells us, says this in verse 1 of Matthew 27. Early the next morning, all of the chief priests and the elders of the people made their plans how to have Jesus what? Okay. Well, a quick question. What about the trial? Oh, we don't need a trial. We've already made up our minds what we should do with this joker a long time ago. We've already made up our minds what we were going to do. So let's just execute him. Verse 2. So they bound him, and look at this. Judas didn't plan on this next part. They led him away. And this is where things begin to fall apart for Judas. They led him away and handed him over to who? Pilate. Let me tell you who Pilate is. He is a, he's not Jewish. He's Roman. He's the Roman governor. Apparently, Judas is thinking, oh no, you weren't supposed to do that. You were just supposed to arrest him. You were supposed to try him. You were supposed to punish him according to all law because Judas knew this, that he knew that the Jews did not have the right to put somebody to death. They did not have the authority. Only, the only political authority that had somebody to put somebody to death was Rome. So I just think he assumed that he was going to try to press Jesus' hand in this. And that Jesus would say, okay, you, I'm him. I'm the Messiah. I am the king. Follow me. And, and I think Judas was just thinking, if, he could, if I could just get Jesus into that hyper-religious context, that eventually, that finally Jesus would say, re, actually reveal who he really is. And that the next thing he knows, he's been turned over to Pilate, which means now Rome will determine Jesus' fate. This wasn't supposed to happen. Uh-oh. This wasn't my agenda. This wasn't my will. I already had how this was supposed to go down. Now complete, uh, things are, are completely out of Judas', Judas control. By the way, they never were in his control in the first place. And completely out of his hands. Verse 3 and 4. When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, look at this. He was what? He was seized with what? You see, we've, we've painted Judas as this awful, evil guy. And again, I know there's, there's some other passages where it says the devil entered Judas, and I get that. But let me tell you, anytime, anytime we use Jesus for our agenda and we become Jesus consumers, we are, it, 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 after a while, there's, uh, Jesus' agenda and our agenda is going to butt heads. And what you do in that moment, you're either going to praise God or you're going to praise Satan. There is no middle ground here. There is no middle ground. You chose this path. I'm going to keep on going. He was seized with remorse, and he returned the 30, 30 silver coins to the priest and the elders, and then he confesses, I have sinned, for I betrayed what? Innocent blood. He knew. He knew. What is that to us? The religious people replied. That is 
your responsibility. You chose the path, Judas. The destination is clear. You are responsible for the outcome of this journey, Judas. And now Judas wants to back up. You see, Judas wants to undo what's already been done. Judas wants to go back to the moment of the Passover when he decided, I'm going to betray him. And there are certain trains, and you know this, I know this, there are certain trains that once they've left the station, you can never get them back. Isn't that true? There are certain, just certain decisions that once you make them, you cannot unmake them. You can receive forgiveness, yes, but circumstances are just circumstances. As a result, oftentimes, that we create. And it says this, So Judas threw the money into the temple and left, and then he went away, and he hanged himself. You know, there are uh, some decisions that are just difficult to live with. For Judas, this was a situation that was impossible for him to live with. And so he took his own life. So now Judas is gone. Jesus has been arrested. He's tried, crucified, and he dies. But still, God's hand can't be forced. And his will can't be thwarted. And in this crazy, strange, uh, unique kind of almost, you know, Hollywood dramatic way, Judas is trying to force Jesus' hand. He's trying to force God's hand. But in a, in a roundabout situation, he's accidentally pl- a player in Jesus' own agenda. And God's will is actually accomplished through this horrible decision. It's almost as if God's hand can't be forced and his will can't be thwarted. That's right. That's exactly right. Now, what does that have to do with you and what does that have to do with me? You see, it's simply this. We... That, that, that when we begin following Jesus, and again, as, as we've gone through this series, I hope that we're able to cast everything else out that we knew, that we thought we knew about, about this whole idea of following, and, and that we get to that just root where to follow. And I've challenged all of us to read Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, just try to get into the life of Jesus, even if you don't believe he's divine, wherever you stand in that. That whenever we first start to follow it, 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 it kind of goes like this. I have a plan. I'm hanging on to it. I need you to help me. Will you help me? I have a will. I would like to think that, that you know, my will needs to happen and, and that if they don't line up, that, that you know, that, that my will will still be done. And along the way, we're left with, with a defining moment. Eventually, we hit a moment where my will and, and God's will don't, don't quite meet up where we realize that I can't get what I want and have what God wants at the same time. And it's in that moment that we have to decide... Will it be my will or thy will? Along the way you follow Jesus, along the way your, your little fingers begin to be pried open. As you begin to realize that time and time again that, that it just there's a conflict. And, you, and in those moments you learn so much about yourself. Because, you know, if there's competing agendas, you, you, you get to a point where, where, you know, part of your story that there's just this competing agenda and, and I can't have my way and God's way. And, and, and if you get to this, it, it almost feels like a moral imperative. I should definitely do this or I should 
oh, completely never do that. And, 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 and you wrestle with it, and on the outside, you, you seem calm and collected, and yeah, you know, you're at peace with this, but on the inside, you are just battling. And if you've spent any time following, you know, following Jesus, you know, something in you lights up. There, there's just this light up that you know this is not what, what, what God wants for me. You, you don't know why. You don't, can't necessarily put your finger on it. You just know. There's nothing necessarily wrong with it. You know, you kind of go through some of the questions like, you know, hey, anybody become Jesus followers, but not all of them are as cute as her, right, you know? Like, like I, I know that I'm supposed to do this, but, but, but you know, come on, like, I, I just, come on, please, like, I know this is outside. And, and, and the thing is, is you know. It's, it's not something that, that anybody else has to tell you. It's not something that anybody from stage is ever going to tell you. You're going to get to a point. You're going to get to a moment. It's a defining moment where you, you think you know what you're supposed to do. And it, like I said, it's not something necessarily bad. He's not a bad guy. She's not necessarily evil. It's a good job. You're not doing anything morally wrong. But, but you hit this point where you, maybe you have to stay when you want to move. Or you have to move when you want to stay. You just, you, you just have this defined moment, and it's in that moment where you learn so much about yourself and you learn who you truly are. That's right. It's in that moment whenever you just make that decision where you know if you have moved from consumer to follower. It's in that moment where it's like a free fall. And the only thing that you can trust to catch you is him. It's a moment where your little itty-bitty faith explodes. And the bottom line is this. God, I want what you want more than what I want. God, I want what you want more than what I want. God, it isn't a bad thing. It's not just, you know, it's, it's I, I, I know that, that, you know, it's not necessarily right or wrong. It's not a, a, a wise or unwise. It's I know that I just feel it. I know you don't want me to do this, and I want what you want more than I want what I want. And it's so hard. But you will know when that moment comes. Now, here's the thing. I know this is difficult. This is, this is not second grade stuff. This is like graduate level stuff. So because I'm your pastor, because I love you, I'm going to make this a little easier for us this morning, okay? Because I know, just as what Dave says, God, I want what you want more than what I want. For most of us, we're not there right now. We're not. So I'm going to make it a little bit easier for you. In fact, some of you go ahead and say thank you, Chris. You're most welcome. All right. So here's what I want our prayer to be. And this is next one. Let's go to this next one. I want to want what you want more than what I want. Can we say that together? I want to want what you want more than what I want. You see, for most of us, if we said, you know what? I, I, I want what you want, God. Most of us, that wouldn't be true. I, it, so I get that. I really do. So I think this is where we need to go. In fact, uh, you know, for, in a lot of situations, and even as me as a pastor, I know what I should want. But if I'm just going to be real with you, 
Sometimes my wants and God's wants go like this. And I don't want what he wants. So, but I think this is a fair... I want to want what you want more than what I want. And again, you've seen people. You've heard stories. And this is the reason why this is so important because of this. You've seen people who somebody's had an affair on their marriage and they stick it out. The wounded person sticks it out. And you're like, why in the world would they ever do that? I mean, get out of that relationship. And, and you look at that, and, and you ask, if you ask those person, they would say, I'm not going to leave because God tells me this is what I should do. And you're like, you're a little different. You're a little strange, and I, I admire that, but that's not what I would want. Or maybe you've seen somebody, and, I mean, uh, you know, and you, you got somebody, and they're wanting to do this deal, and they got this business deal going, and it's, it's shady, and you know it's shady. And you know that if you did this deal, you would probably be okay. You, there would probably be no ramifications other than you got some more bling bling. And you're like, God, I know I shouldn't do that deal. And I know you would say, if Jesus were here, he wouldn't do the deal. But man, I kind of want to do it. Okay. I, this is why I think when we're at these watershed defining moments... For so many of us, when we see the difficult next step, and we just say, okay, if that's what God wants, then I'm deuced. I'm gone. I'm going to do what I want, and when it doesn't work out, I'll come back for you, right? Um, and we'll walk away from God. And as a follower of Jesus, what you do in that situation really is going to determine whose you are and what you are. In those moments, if you would just pause and say, okay, I know this is what God would want me to do. I don't think I can do that. It's too difficult. It's too hard. So I'm going to pray this prayer. And I think this is a prayer that we want us to pray. Heavenly Father, I want to want what you want more than what I want. That was awful. So let's say this together. That was my fault, okay? We're going to re repeat after me. Heavenly Father, I want to want what you want more than what I want. Let me tell you, if you pray that prayer, he will listen to that prayer because you're being real. You're being authentic. You're not just going to go, well, I don't, I don't think I can do that. So I'm gone. Because that's what most of us do, honestly. It's the reason why some of you are back, honestly. Because God, following Jesus, your will was here, and his will was here, and you were like, God, not thy will, but my will be done. It's what I want. Because what you're asking is so too difficult. It's too much. Too much of a sacrifice. So the only other option is either do it or leave you. There is another option. There is another option. We can live within the tension of saying, I know that's what you want. It's not really what I want, but Heavenly Father, I want to want. I want to want what you want more than what I want. This is a prayer that God honors. And, you know, it's one of the things that I think got Judas into trouble. Because when his agenda met God's agenda, he chose his agenda. And I could just be honest, I think we got a little bit of Judas in all of us. We demonize this guy. And again, 
It's easy to. But honestly, when we remain as a Jesus consumer and not cross over to a Jesus follower, we're kind of just like him. And I think if Judas could come back and speak here at one church, he would simply say this. He would tell you and I, blessed is the one who chooses to do the will of God rather than attempting to impose his own will on God. Because you know what? Bottom line is you can't force God to do anything. And you cannot thwart the will of God. You can't force the hand of God. You can't thwart the will of God. You can't force the hand of God. You can't manipulate him and get him in one of these armholes and like, okay, you're going to do what I do. Uh-uh. He's going to get out of that one. And when he does, he's going to put some Bruce Lee moves on you. Right? And then, guess what? You can't force his hand. You can't thwart his will. And there's some, there's some comfort in that, that you can't mess it up. His will is his will. It's bigger than you. And I think when we get to that point, that tension, well, God, I want this, and you want this, if we were just to stop in that defining watershed moment and say, God, God. And I think if God could whisper in our ear this morning, he would say, Chris, Dave, Donna, Bill, this is bigger than your story, than your little itty-bitty life. And the repercussions of what you're going to do next is not just going to splash over into your life, but splash over into so many other people's lives, into your kids' lives, into your children's children's lives, into your children's 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 lives, into your co-workers' lives, into your parents' lives, into your family's lives. All because you're wanting this, but if you will just do it my way, not your way, my way, God's hand cannot be manipulated. His will cannot be thwarted. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much, God, that we can just be able to come and hear a very, very difficult, difficult teaching. Lord, that because all of us, we have wills, we have ideas, we got plans. We, we, I mean, we got some stuff that we want to see happen in 2016. And Lord, so many of us, we want you to bless our plans. We want you to come and to get on our agenda, on our page. But Lord, I pray that this year, heck, this month, no, no, even this moment, even if we don't want what you want, that we would be honest with you and say, Heavenly Father, I want to want what you want. Because your will is better than mine. And even though she's cute, and even though he's handsome, and even though this deal has a lot of great things going for it, I just have this holy hunch that I shouldn't do it. Lord, I pray when that happens, we would be able we would be able to choose you over us. That we would be able to pray, God, not my will, but your will be done.